You're listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I love to run, period. You can always run faster. Forever, you're going to feel something. You're going to run into roadblocks, but that's also going to teach you how to handle things in life. I don't think we want to be like rocks where we're not affected by anything. It's not maybe a physical thing, but it's a mental thing. There's like two voices in me, alpha and beta. Really trying to do is just keep moving forward. Every single runner knows what that means. My life has a purpose, and maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be, but. There were times when I didn't think I would be able to come back. There's a lot of people that had different gifts, and they don't use it. I think if we all use our gifts, we could do something really special, not for ourselves, but for our family. If we're really good, we could do something for our community. Wherever we live, wherever we live, wherever we live. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's your host, Mario Fraioli, and we are back with another episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. And here to set this one up with me, as always, is my right hand man, Chris Douglas. Chris, welcome back to the show for the umpteenth time this year. Huh. Yeah, it's great. It's been a yeah, it's been a thing. I love it. It's been a thing. Uh, I love it too because the thing I, I don't love is recording these intros solo and staring at my screen and reading off of a script. Uh, this is much more natural for me, so I really appreciate you coming sure. over and setting these up with me. Um, today, we have the second part of a two-parter with Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, who we first had on the show back in August. Yeah, and this was a, just a really cool conversation. I mean, she is... Uh... I'm not a religious person, but I think if I was, like, she'd be exactly the type of religious leader I'd gravitate towards because she's so welcoming. Um, you know, in this in this conversation, which was, as you mentioned, the part two, I was really looking forward to it because she was going on the sabbatical. She was going to mm-hmm. report back on visiting run clubs. And, and I think the idea of connection and exploring connection is just so interesting. And she kind of does it with running as a metaphor, but also like actually running, um, which is cool because those connections do happen in running. Um, and whether it's running in a group, showing up and being vulnerable, just experiencing good vibes or something else, like there's really something there. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And before I go any further for a little context, if you haven't listened to episode 226, that's the first part of my conversation with Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs. Please go do that before you listen to this one. You can learn a little bit more about her. She is a longtime runner. She is also the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. So, I mean, she is like a, like real deal religious figure. And like, I'm not a super religious person myself, but I have a ton of respect for Jennifer and just the way that she thinks about community and belonging and running and how all all of those things intersect. So definitely check that one out if you haven't already. You can learn a little bit more about her. And we didn't record this conversation in one fell swoop, so there were a few months in between. But Jennifer did go on sabbatical this summer, and as part of her sabbatical, what she did was travel around and visit different run crews Mm -hmm. around the country, but even internationally. She went to London, visited some there, um, you know, few in the Midwest, uh, close to where she lives on the East coast. And it was really fun for me to just like dig into that and what she saw and how she felt and what she experienced and what she took away from those experiences Mm -hmm. that she is now trying to apply, you know, not only in her 
diocesan life as a as a bishop, but she helped start her own run crew close to where she lives in Indianapolis, and that's so growing too, which is which is super cool. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I mean, I think like her her sabbatical was really just sort of a, almost chronicling the history and evolution of run clubs and crews and sort of their role in sort of the zeitgeist of running, but also in in just community, which which was really interesting, and and I know you guys spent a lot of time talking about sort of the distinction between clubs and crews, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, uh, we were both just at CIM recently, and tons of crews, tons of crews out. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the race and all over the course as well, and I mean, I love that energy. It's one of my favorite parts of marathon, whether I'm running it or I'm also on the sidelines myself, because you can see how it impacts the athletes on the course. Um, it really brings them along for that 26.2 mile journey. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I think, you know, the last thing to, to, in, in terms of foreshadowing for this was just, you know, I really appreciate her talking about being vulnerable and the importance of that. I know I mentioned it earlier, but you know, the, the power of running in groups or doing things in community. And, and I mean, I just, I, I, there could have been two hours just talking about that on how, like, what is it about running, bringing people together that breaks down these barriers? I mean, you see it in cycling and other sports as well, but what, what is it about like the shared experience that allows people to be their authentic selves and find connection that way. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, maybe there needs to be a part three of this conversation sometime (laughs) next year. We only had an hour for this one and it went by super fast. And I feel like there's still just a lot more to talk about. We'll leave it at that. I don't want to ruin it for For anyone, but hope you all enjoy it before we get into this conversation with Jennifer. I think we should shout out the sponsors who help make this podcast possible. Definitely. Yeah. First up is our favorite tracksmith. Yeah. And as we said on the last podcast, <laughs> guess what? It's still bright and base layer season. <laughs> sure I is. wore mine yesterday morning. It was a little chilly here. Put a jacket over it. I love that piece of apparel. It comes in short and long sleeve options. I mean, this, at least in our hemisphere, is time of year for that long sleeve option. And more often than not, I'm wearing something over it, whether it's a half zip or usually a jacket, because we're getting some precipitation here as it's raining outside right now. And that Brighton base layer is just, I mean core piece for winter. It's going to help regulate temperature. It wicks sweat. Uh, it looks good. Um, and it doesn't smell. I mean, that's Christine's favorite part of it. I wear that thing in the house and I mean, I'm a stinky runner. I sweat a lot. Uh, and I come in and she doesn't complain when well, we're in the bright base Can I layer. make a confession? I actually got one for my wife, Susan, but basically for her to use it as like a long john because she's always cold this thing's it's wool it's super comfy it's form-fitting and she wears it all the time yeah and speaking of it as as kind of a long john i I love that you brought that out it just brings me back to my youth well my dad kid in new england my dad was a plumber i mean grew up in new england would work through the winter time just like very cold brutal conditions and he had like multiple pairs of long johns that he rotated through because he needed to keep warm so i haven't heard that word in a long time but it does it does really serve that purpose I mean, speaking of CIM, I was there along the course this past weekend supporting my athletes, and I wore that shirt under the same exact sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now, and it kept me warm throughout the entire morning. I didn't take—I actually didn't take it off till after I ran when I got home. I kept it on, so very versatile piece. Um, check out the Brighton Base Layer. There's a ton of other cool stuff on Tracksmith's website. If you go to tracksmith.com slash Mario, you'll see it all. 
when you check out if you use the code Mario new and that is if you are a new customer of tracksmith you've never bought anything from them before you'll save 15 dollars on your first purchase of 75 bucks or more and there's another code for those of you who are returning tracksmith customers and that is mario give g-i-v-e all one word and with that code you will get free shipping on your order and five percent of your purchase will go to support the friendly house in worcester massachusetts which is an organization that is near and dear to me it does a ton for that community i basically grew up there and it's really shaped you know a lot of who i am so i'm really really proud that a percentage of all purchases using that code go to support the friendly house for sure for sure and lastly we just we want to do sort of a blanket shout out to our partners yeah and Aside from Tracksmith, who has been the longest standing supporter of my work here at the Morning Shakeout going back to 2016, we've got a couple others who have been with us for a long time as well. First being New Balance. I've been running in New Balance shoes, I mean, pretty much since I started running in high school, but almost exclusively in the last several years. They've been partnered with us now. I think this is year four mm-hmm. or year five. Um, the 1080, we joke, is the like unofficial official shoe of the morning shakeout i run like 85 percent of my miles in it um it is a workhorse the v13 just came out you can go check that out at newbalance.com or at your local run specialty store we also have precision fuel and hydration i mean we have been friends with these guys now for i think again close to four years i mean they are my go-to fuel they started with just hydration products years ago and i would use it as part of my pre-workout pre-race routine especially for for marathons to help replace what i lost through my sweat and in 2020 they started making fuel and Mm -hmm. i think it is some of the best if not the best in the business it's what i use what chris uses for a lot of his swim run events and i'm not even training for a marathon right now but when i'm doing more intense workouts on the track or even tempo runs um, i have found that if i get in the right amount of carbohydrates before and during not only does it help my performance it helps my recovery afterwards so you know shout out to precision fuel and hydration i mean these are major partners here at the morning shakeout if you go to the morning shakeout.com slash partners you can link off to their websites and there's definitely codes there for precision especially if you're a first-time customer you can try some of their products we're heading into winter people are going to be ramping up for spring marathon soon and if you have struggled with fueling or you're looking for a solution definitely check out the folks at precision fuel and hydration with that let's get into this conversation with jennifer baskerville barros Right, Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs. Aside from the fact that we are matching today, not that our listeners can uh, see that, but we're both wearing the Down Easter Crew by Tracksmith. That was not planned. Um, I've been waiting for this conversation, part two of one that we started this past summer for a few months now. It's a real thrill to welcome you back to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you, Mario. It's great to be back. I've been looking forward to this time as well. So our last conversation, we set the table. We got to know you a bit better. If you haven't listened to that conversation, I will link to it in the show notes. And I really think uh, you should listen to that one before um, diving into this one, because we're going to talk a lot about your sabbatical that you went on earlier this year and just some of the travels that you partook in during that time and sort of like what you saw and what you discovered. But 
I mean, last time we spoke, you were wrapping up your sabbatical. Um, you were visiting run clubs and crews around the country to understand just how identity and belonging are created and sustained in those spaces. So broad question to start. What were you looking for when you set out on this sabbatical tour of, of the country? And I think I think it even went international. I do think you went to London for a period of time. I yep. did. And what did you hope to get out of that experience? Well, the first thing I'd say is that this, this sabbatical, the way we get to take it in the Episcopal Church for me was just doing something I loved. And I thought, I love running. I love um, traveling. And so the opportunity to travel around and to meet up with run crews that I follow on social media and see and think, oh, I, you know, I would love to meet these people. But the deeper question for me was, why are people so, why are people gravitating to these run crews so um, enthusiastically in such large numbers. I had the sense that there, every time I looked on Instagram and someone would post their Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday run, the groups were larger and larger in number. And I thought, well, they're doing something important that I think I need to learn about because my role is gathering people and trying to help people feel like they're connected. Mm -hmm. And yet I had the sense that there was something that I envied about these running crews and how they were forming connection and belonging. So I thought, let me just travel around and explore what that feels like to actually step into some of those spaces and and then to even try to create one here in Indianapolis. Yeah. So as you were setting out on that journey, how, like, just take me through like the, the nuts and bolts of how it like came to be. Did you reach out to the leaders of these crews and say, Hey, here's who I am. I've been following you for a while. I'm on this sabbatical. I would love to join you and your crew for a run. Or was it different than that? Yeah, no, that was, that was kind of it. And I I think I need to also give some credit to the ISA run crew in Philadelphia and the story that the CLE journal, the, um, you know, the caps, Mm -hmm. they, they have a blog that they would post stories about different things. And one of the stories they did as a take a think think about exactly when I saw it. it may have been in the fall of 2022, but they did a story about the ISA Run crew and their um, they're going out to dinner, their supper club basically. So they do a track workout on a Thursday night and then go to supper around different places around Philadelphia. And the way that that story was told, I thought, oh my god, I want to do that. That sounds like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a religious person. I thought this sounds like church to me. Like right. There's ritual, there's food, there's community. And so that actually gave me the idea to form, like the the desire to go run with Richard Isa and his group gave me the idea to do this as a more exploratory um, endeavor, just going around the country a bit. So I thought, let me see, let me follow more groups. And as I delved into like what groups are out there, I kept finding more and more and more. And I thought, well, let me just plot out if I could do a travel log of places to visit in sequence, then maybe I could visit, you know, a number of groups. And the funny thing was it I really needed to map it out both geographically and on the calendar because I had to figure out how to get from point A to point B on the right day that the run crew was going to meet. And um but this this idea was that I if I could get the list down, then I could write Instagram message or however people were communicating the leader of the group and say, hey, I'm coming through um, would love to to chat or to interview or just to be a part. And sometimes the groups just said, just come on. And there was nothing really formal about it. And um, and then with others, like with Richard Issa, I went out to dinner with him after a run and we actually did 
you know, I took some notes a little bit about like what it is that draws people to that group. Mm-hmm. Did you think that going into this exploration that you would do that, like take a lot of notes, I mean, for yourself or, or something bigger? And when it was all done, you would, I don't know, create something that maybe you could share with other people or that you would just have for yourself and be able to apply to what you do as the Bishop of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis? <laughs> Well, yeah, I I thought I might do that. I had applied to the Tracksmith Fellowship, as um, which gave me this idea that oh, this could be bigger than just what I might put in my journal, right? Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, I thought I don't need to pro- I don't need to produce anything out of a sabbatical, but there would be some interesting stories to tell. But I thought if I received the fellowship, then I might develop a podcast or a digital journal that really took some photographs and you know video, and I was going to go into it with that, but. Um, but that didn't happen. I didn't get the fellowship. And so I ended up just enjoying the time along the way without the, what could have even been a pressure about trying to record it and make sure that I, you know, did the influencer kind of thing, which I wasn't sure I was up for without the impetus from the fellowship. Yeah. I would imagine that would change the relationship to it or just the mindset that you would take into some of those interactions and conversations. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I imagine you're right because um, this is. I love this question because I haven't really thought about this, but I I would imagine that going in as a I'm just Jennifer the runner. I'm showing up and I want to have an experience mm-hmm. versus Jennifer the documenter who's going to come at it. I mean, I kind of did have that idea that I want to remember the things I'm learning so I can learn and talk about it later. But I would have been at a bit of a remove from it if I came in with my camera and my microphone saying, okay, now let me enter that space in that particular way. Yeah. Like as a sociologist or something, anthropologist. Yeah. And I imagine on on the other end, too, it would change some of the responses that you might get. Because I think people are prone to be just a little more open, honest themselves, knowing like, oh, this person is just curious about what it is that we're doing versus they're recording this and we're going to be presented to a wider audience in some way, shape or form. Right, right. Where, you know, it'll live on the internet forever kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So now I need to watch what I say. So, um, yeah, no, I think you're really, you're right. I I bet that would have changed the experience. And so, um, while I was sorry, I didn't get the fellowship. I thought, well, maybe there's, there was a gift in that because it created more freedom all around, I think. Freedom for me, freedom for the people I was speaking with, just to be at ease mm-hmm. in the conversation. Yeah. Just to kind of put a pin in that, because I want to come back to like what you experienced with Richard's crew first in Philadelphia, and then sort of where things went from there. But like observationally for me, I, I've just been fascinated by what I'll call crew culture over the past. I mean, it's really been about 10 years or so that I think this has become a thing and has really accelerated in the last five years or so. And I think a big part of that is Instagram and social media in general, because running clubs have been around forever. Um, I mean, you know, for, for several decades at this point, but they've always had this sort of competitive and somewhat 
exclusive in a lot of ways tilt to them. Not all of them, but but many of them. It's like, oh, we're a competitive club. We meet for track on Tuesdays and we do maybe tempo on Thursday or Friday and we do this long run on Saturday. And if you're not training for races or trying to, you know, PR, have this need for speed, you're probably not welcome here. And I can understand um, why they're perceived in that way and how that might be a turnoff for some people. Whereas crews and people... I've asked people this question. I think about this all the time. Like, what's the distinction between a club and a crew? And I feel like the crew can be whatever you want it to be. It can be a little bit looser. It can have a competitive tilt to it. Maybe it's a little bit more welcoming and inclusive. Maybe it's exclusive in that it's around a common area of of interest uh, that might, you know, if you're interested in that, you could come, but it might not be for everyone. And that's, you know, that's okay. And it's been accelerated by, you know, social media and Instagram. And it's been able like these crews have been able to gain a following because of that and stay connected between those like one, two, three days a week that they might meet, or maybe it's one, two, three days a month that they might meet. Um, and I'd just be interested to get like your observations on that as someone who like dove deep into, you know, exploring what these crews were all about. I think you're absolutely right. And so there, there might even be this um, probably a demarcation of time, like the early run crews versus the latter day run crews mm-hmm. because I remember when That's I was reading Allison Desir's book, um, Running Wild Black, and noting how early she started Harlem Run. Which, you know, that's in that first wave of run crews. And the other thing about the sabbatical was like I really wanted to go to those particular groups that were were for everybody. Like we really want to be about everyone's welcome, whatever your pace, and we'll find a way to to keep you in the, uh, keep you like, you're never alone. Just, you always, always have somebody to run with you. So, you know, Harlem run was really early. Um, even like the district, um, DC run collective, DC, that, that one's another early one. And then there was a run dem crew in London, mm-hmm. which I got to run with, they were early. And then I think around the pandemic, either right before or just with the pandemic there, that's what I, when I would say, there's been the increase in numbers of run groups popping up everywhere, and and um, and the sense that they are um, not. I mean, they they can have competitive elements to it, so that people really are trying to compete. But there is this intentionality about having enough room for those who are not going to be competing, who people who are starting out to run for the first time, and that every neighborhood can have a run crew, mm-hmm. which is a different thing than having just a city run club, right? Like, um, I think that's the growth and evolution of it as I've seen it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting observation too, because as you noted with Harlem Run, I do think they were one of the early run crews. Many of them started popping up in cities like New York or right. LA is another big one. We've yep. seen some in Chicago. And, and to your point, it wasn't just, oh, this is another club that's in the city. It was like, this is a crew that, you know, is about this neighborhood. We meet in this neighborhood. We run in this neighborhood. I mean, I think of, I think it's a little bit newer, but pioneers in, you know, Dorchester neighborhood of, of Boston. And that's like really interesting to me as well, because there's just, there's just more of, there's just more of them and they can be a big thing. And some of them do become pretty big, especially because of social media, but they can also be small too, and just be okay existing in that way. That's right. That's right. And so that's been the interesting thing is that, you know, every time I'd go on social media, I'd find another crew that was linked to whatever, you know, people are commenting and giving cheers or whatever to whatever run crew is is posting that day. And then I'd find another one and I would follow this trail and I would discover that 
In some places like the Upper West Side of Manhattan, you might have a couple of run crews with very similar names, and they're just like, well, we just wanted to start it. So they're, they pop up, and and there they are. And um, and there's no competition for the territory. You know, it's yeah. not like folks are saying, well, we already have this neighborhood. You need to go off and go someplace else. They seem to coexist pretty well. So I find that fascinating. Yeah, I do too. And I think what's also interesting about that and how they differentiate from run clubs. I mean, run clubs, and there's nothing wrong with this. I belong to a no. running club. They compete against one another, usually in a in a region, maybe in a city, whatever. They have team scoring, uh, and there's bragging rights. And, and for the most part, people get along pretty well. And it's a fun like yeah, yeah. little rivalry thing. On the flip side, what I've seen with some run crews, and it's not always around a race, but sometimes it can be. I've definitely seen it at marathons. But they'll have these crew meetups where you can have – literally dozens of crews from maybe it's the same city, but people who come in from all of these different cities and it's, they're not competing against one another, but they're meeting up and maybe they go for a social run during the race. They have cheer stations during the race. And that is new. I mean, that doesn't exist in run club culture, but it's definitely a big part of run crew culture. Well, right. And so I'm trying to remember where I saw one of those meetups happen fairly like sometime this fall, and of course, this is like all the marathon majors in the fall season. And so there's been a lot of opportunities for groups to come together. But I saw one massive picture. Maybe it was, I'm not sure if it was Philadelphia, but like everyone had their flag and there were yeah, like yeah. these, it must have been a, a couple of hundred people, like not a couple of hundred, like three or 400 folks, just very colors. Everyone gathered with their different, you know, singlets. And I just thought that's beautiful. You know, yeah. it's a beautiful sight. I remember seeing... It was a couple of years ago now, and it was the Berlin Marathon. And there was, I don't know how these things come together, but it was clearly planned, this meetup. And it was mm-hmm. crews from all over Europe. A bunch came over from America, and they're all wearing their gear. They've got you know their, their logo. They've got their unique way of expressing themselves. But it wasn't in a, like, we're better than you or we're a competing kind of way. It's like, hey this is who we are. This is where we're from. This is what we're about. And I was like, this is, this is really cool. I'm like, I feel like we need, you know, more of, more of this, um, at, you know, yeah. all levels of the sport it doesn't have to be at a, a major marathon. I mean, I've seen it also happen in cities as well, where it's like, Hey, we're just going to have this crew meet up. People go for a run and then, you know, they have a barbecue afterward and it's hosted by one crew and it's like, okay, let us show you what we're all about. And I mean, yeah. I, think that, I think it's just really cool. And I love seeing, more and more of that happening in the past few years. Yeah, no, it's, it's great because I think there are so many places in which we're being pulled apart or there is that competitive element and not in a, not in a good way, like the kind of com- the sort of pitting against each other that doesn't actually help to make us stronger or better with each other. And so this is it, those events with the run crews coming together feel more like these extended family reunions where people mm-hmm. are just saying, okay, let's get the whole family yeah. together. And you show up with your side of the family, but you're all part of one, you know, thing. I think the family reunion analogy is a good one. Um, in my observations, that seems to be probably the the closest, you know, representation of, of what those types of things are. Going back to your sabbatical and some of the crews that you visit. So let's go to the Issa Run crew in Philadelphia. You met up with Richard afterward, had dinner. But when you went to the run, I don't know what night of the week it was, but just like take me through that experience for you coming in as an outsider. They knew that you know you were coming, but what did you observe and what did you take away from that experience? 
So this, um, one of the ways I'll, I just have to say, um, I have an injury I'm working through now. I had a hamstring pull at that point, which was, you know, I keep trying to say to myself that, you know, being injured is part of the running journey. And so I had worked my way from New England to New York City, where I had the hamstring pull, and then went to Philadelphia, and I couldn't run. So I said, but I'm going to meet up with these folks because they are the entire reason I'm doing this this particular project. And so I went to the, they had a track workout at Temple and I met up and it was great because again, I'd, I'd met Richard at the Boston Marathon runner's hospitality thing back in April. So I knew him and everyone else I kind of knew just from watching them on social media. And I walked up to the track. I said, I'm not running, but I was dressed to walk and I would do some laps and just talk to people. And it actually was really, really helpful not to be doing a a hard workout because I got a chance to spend time um, and to listen as folks would do their workout and then take a rest. Um, The thing I was looking for, though, is that, you know, even though they knew I was coming here, I was a stranger, really. But um, but they welcomed me in like, oh, almost as if we've been waiting for you kind of thing, you know, and not everyone knew I was coming. Richard did, but it wasn't like the whole crew was waiting for Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs to roll up. It was like, this person's new and they received me as someone who, you know, they would receive anybody else who was showing up for the first time. And um, what I loved about it was that I got to meet the folks who were just doing the thing. They just come in after work. We're going to be running their respective workouts. Everyone had a different thing to do. Um, but they were generous with telling me why they were there and why they keep coming back, which is the question I really wanted to know. And what it boiled down to a lot of it was, these are my people. Like I'm invested in knowing what their lives are about and our lives. I mean, their lives are my life now kind of conversation, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really, really extraordinary. Um, and then after the, the track workout, we got different Ubers and went to a place to have some chicken wings and, and just talk about all the stuff. And it was it was great just to have that, like it was a two-part evening um, where there was the workout and then there was the fellowship social time and spouses who were not running came and joined for dinner. So I got to meet, you know, people were super connected, not just with the running people, but their own families were known to the other runners. And anyway, it was just great. It was yeah. really great. I think what stands out to me about that and what's really beautiful about that is, well, is this night of the week where they had track. It was every week, I'm assuming, most weeks mm-hmm. of yep. the year. And it became important to people. It's like, well, you know, I will move the earth to get to track on Tuesday to see, you know, my people and have this experience afterward. Because, I mean, the rest of our lives are very busy. And I, I would imagine, I don't know anyone in this crew at all. I've met Richard once before. But I have to imagine, like, everyone else's lives are busy. And this might be the one sacred thing each week that they want to protect because they feel like they're a part of something bigger. They're excited to see the folks who are there who are interested and invested in them. And likewise, they are interested and invested in everyone else, you know, who is, who is there. And I'd love to just kind of like get your take on this because that's what a lot of religious institutions aim to be as well. I mean, you know, church happens on Sunday, you have brunch after church. I mean, going back decades, that used to be, you know, the thing for, you know, many families and, it hasn't been for, you know, several years as well. And I like, I kind of would love to just get your observation as someone who's in that world, but also who is, who is in this world and just like where your head goes when you like think about these things, um, you know, as it relates to both aspects of your life. 
Well, that, that's where the, the tension was for me because I thought what I wouldn't do to have people want to show up for churchy things three days a week, like it was their whole life pivot. Like mm-hmm. that's a thing that's really shifted. And even folks who have been in the, like older generations who've been in religious um, communities for their whole life, going to church one way or the other, there has been something that's shifted and all the sort of polls will bear this out that people consider themselves to be frequent, regular attendees of their religious services if they go one to two times a month. And so I would look at these running groups and this is part of why I thought, let me explore this on the sabbatical because I thought, what is it about showing up <laughs> to run and do this hard thing after you've done all the work or whatever you do for your day job, and then you're going to show up at night or get up super early in the morning and meet with people? And, you know, you might miss here and there, but it's the thing about these run crews is that people seem to be pretty regular. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I can see them on social media. I'm like, oh, there's Josephine again at Random Crew. Like, she's always there. Like, and I don't know whether it's because there's the impetus of training for a race so that you feel like you've got you got goals, you've got to keep up the run. But I think it, there's something else going on there. And I we don't have that in the religious landscape in the same way. And um, I wish we did. I mean, that's that's the, the thing. I thought if I if I start a run group <laughs> with my churches, will that allow people to come more regularly? Like, what do I need to do to make that work? Because I would love that kind of sustained attention. And yeah. people might have it, but they just don't get there, right? Yeah. So I don't want to say that people aren't faithful necessarily because they don't come. But, you know, folks will move all kinds of stuff to make their workout happen. But church doesn't have that. Like, you know, sometimes you'll have to, you'll know it'll be there next week. You'll go. So that's me come back another week and go do this other thing sometimes happens in the religious spaces. Yeah. I also think though, when it comes to something like a run crew, there's probably for a a lot of people, a good number of people just getting over that initial hump of going initially is, is the hardest part. And like you felt so welcomed your first time coming in as a stranger to this group. You're like, Oh, felt like they were waiting for me and they welcomed me. Um, And sounds like something you would want to come back to every week. But I feel like, there are a lot of people who don't even get to that point because they're afraid of how they're going to be perceived. They're going to be too slow, you know, so on and, and yeah, so yeah, forth. Yeah. Like all of, all of those stories we end up telling ourselves in our head. Well, and we were talking about that in part one of this podcast, mm-hmm. right? Cause I've had my own reticence about showing up at the track house um, for a tracksmith run, which I still haven't done cause I've been injured, but I will, I will do that when I get to Boston. I hope next week I'll be in shape enough to hop into a run, but I, I experienced something with Rundum Crew in London. So can we tell the story as a way yeah. to make the point? I landed on a Sunday night is when we landed in London or Sunday morning-ish. Kind of had some time to brush off the jet lag. Monday, we kind of got situated. And then on Tuesday, I went to run with the Rundum group. So I'm staying in East London, a neighborhood I've never been to before. I'm going to another place in London, downtown, another place I've never been before. I figure out how to get there because I know I can maneuver around cities. And I show up to that place, like this Lululemon store where everybody's gathering. And folks are like, oh, this is where you go. They show me where to go. They do the warm up. They do the introductions. We have the run. I'm sort of at the back of the pack, but I'm not the last one in because they don't believe in having anybody with like a leader is always last. So 
I come in and, you know, the run is wonderful. It's exciting and exhilarating to run through the city of London at rush hour, through weaving through people, having different conversations with folks as I run, get to the end of it. And we have a little closing thing and announcements about the next run. And, um, and we didn't go, there was no meal. People didn't go out to a thing together. But there was that whole experience that was so resonant to me, like in my body, I thought, I cannot wait to come back to run with these people. I want to find out. I mean, I was going to twist my schedule to run at another run with a different group with someone I met at Random Crew because we had connected on this run in such a nice way. And I thought, I've never felt that connected that immediately in any church I've ever visited. Like, oh my God, except for maybe the first church I've gone to when I was early on in my faith journey. But I just felt something that I've not experienced elsewhere about feeling like I immediately was a part of this community. I knew people. I continue to stay in touch with them, Facebook messaging, even now, or Instagram messaging, I should say. And I've been wondering for months now, since this experience in June, why do I feel connected to these people that I only spent an hour in change with? Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. I cannot figure it out. But Kelly McGonigal and her book around the joy of movement talks about these endocannabinoids and these things that happen in your body molecular level that help you feel bonded to people. And I think part of it is this movement with other people doing something hard that brings up all of these joy molecules, she would say. And I'm still high on it. Like, honest to God, if I, the next time I get near London, I am going to make sure I get to run with this group because I want to chase that experience again. Yeah, I I resonate deeply with that in my own way, and I don't think this is specific to to cruise, but I do think it is something about getting together with other people and doing something like physical with each other, mm-hmm. but not necessarily to like achieve a certain end. But you you can have that, right? I mean, I think back, you know, still my closest friends to this day are the guys that I spent four years running cross country with in, in college. But it's like every day we were out with each other, like in nature, which there's certainly plenty of documented benefits to that. And on certain days of the week, like we pushed each other hard and then we did race together, like towards something. And I think that, you know, often united us as well, but we like now, I mean, here we are 20 years later, uh, we don't do that anymore. Many of the guys don't even run, but we're still as connected as, as ever. And I think it's like just sharing that experience with each other for four years, like really like, I mean, some of that glue with some of those people is like dissolved a little bit, but most of it's still held like pretty, pretty tight. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's, I don't know if it's one thing, but I wonder if like that's a big part of the difference between, you know, like a run crew and then, you know, being part of a, a religious group. Cause I mean, with a religious group, it's like you come, you know, usually you gather to worship, you know, once a week um, or multiple times per week and you come into, you know, the church or the worship center and, you know, you, you do the thing and then maybe you have like some, brunch afterward and you know go go home but it's like here it's like okay you get out you don't even get to know each other but you get to know each other pretty quickly like when you start moving the feet and you know maybe you're talking about life that day but you just see like oh this person is like they're clearly not comfortable but they're you know they're they're pushing and like i'm not comfortable so maybe i'll push like a little bit more and i i do think like i'm not smart enough to understand like what's happening there but when you're in it you can feel it and i mean you just described right. that right and it's like yeah. i don't know what it i don't know what it is about like connecting with someone you know on that level but I, it's it's 
it's like insanely powerful. Like it's really, really powerful. No, it's true. And I, I can't remember where I, someone who like researches these things wrote somewhere recently that there's the, the run is, it automatically takes you off of your defenses a little bit, which is like you go to church, you dress up if that's your thing. And the American least Christian experience is like, I'm going for me and I'm going to experience something with other people, but it's really about me and God perhaps. And that's, I try to disabuse people of that and say, no, actually it's about the, we always like, we're not like, this is what's the, the primary. There's no, I, it's all about the, we, but it can be really easy just to go and do your thing at the worship space and then go home and feel like you've had a satisfying experience without connecting. And a lot of people will tell me like, Bishop, I really wish I could be in a place where I could be really real and vulnerable, but I find I'm having a hard time doing that at my, in my congregation because it's harder entry point, but you get to a run and these researchers say, well, you're already like, you're not wearing all your clothes most of the time, right? Like you're like, literally you're less, defended um, if you're in the hot weather. And so you, if you're a woman, most of us don't put on makeup, like you're just getting out. So you're not, the pretenses yeah. are taken down a bit. And so the conditions for being a little bit more vulnerable are set in a different way than they are in most of the rest of our places, like where we live our life. And other sports probably can do this to some degree too. But I think there is something that happens with expectations just being set differently because we're showing up literally differently than we do in the rest of our lives. Yeah. Just while we're doing this thought experiment, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, I think a lot of people go to church or to worship for different reasons. I mean, some do it because they love God. Some people might do it because they feel shame. Some people might do it because they want forgiveness for something. But running's not really that much different. Some people may do it because they, you know, they love to do it. They love being around other people. Some people might do it because they want to lose weight. Some people might do it because they feel shame about how, you know, how they do look and they want to try and like look better. I don't know. So I think there are a lot of like similarities there, but I think you are right. There is something about being in that running environment where, you know, you show up, you're, you're generally not dressed up. I mean, though some people are certainly more stylish than, than others, but it's like, like, Hey, we're all, we're all here and we're all going to like do this thing. And you can't really like four miles is four miles. You can't really, you know, change that. We're all going to experience it. Or if it's like 90 degrees out, it's like, we're all going to be kind of dealing with the same conditions here. And maybe when that run is done, like we're all going to end up back here and and do the same thing. Whereas, I don't know, I feel like maybe in religious circles, people like, I don't know where I'm going to end up when I'm, when I'm done type of thing. And that, and that I think can change, you know, the experience I think, and make people feel a little more divided than actually like connected for a common cause. Well, yeah, there's probably, I think, all of that. And again, this this um, difference that happens when you're experiencing a bit of endorphin rush with other people, which sure. again, researchers would say that that's the, the likelihood of you feeling endorphins is going to increase if you're doing it with other people versus doing, running alone. And um, there's nothing like having other people say, yay, good job. Like you did it at the end of doing a hard thing, which I mean, at the end of a church service, we're like, yay, God, but we're not like, yay, Judy, you know, like, or yay, Mario for whatever. It's you, it's, there's, there's something attractive about going, doing a hard thing and having someone say that was an awesome thing you just did. Now go off and have the rest of your day. Like who doesn't want to have a little affirmation from people, whether you know them or not. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think that's exactly right. And as you were describing that, I mean, I thought of something else too, but you know, 
Church group will meet maybe once a week. Running group will meet once, maybe twice a week, uh, or maybe a couple times a month, but generally not every day. Um, right. So on the in-between, it's like you're on your own. So if you are a church-going person, like in-between, um, I hate saying should, but I have I don't have a better word for it, <laughs> but you should be praying on your own, you know, or right. like doing the work to you know, like make sure that you're still following the, you know, the mission of the church and the spirit of what it's all about. I mean, I think the same thing for running. It's like, all right, you might have one or two other people that you meet up with in between these bigger run crew meetups, but it's like a lot of people put in miles, you know, on their own. It's really hard to do things on your own. There's no one giving you that affirmation, you know, afterward. And I do think like that's, I I know in running, like that's the appeal for a lot of people. The group keeps them you know, accountable. Um, and they're more apt to like, at least do enough in between so that when they show up the next time, it's like, Oh, I can actually still hang with Jennifer. I can still do, you know, the four mile run and I'm not going to be, you know, behind schedule. But like, now that we're like talking about it, I'm like, wow, there are more parallels here than I actually like originally, you know, thought (laughs) there is like this one major difference that it's like really hard to put into words and like fully understand. And like, there's part of that that like frustrates me. And there's part of that, that I'm just like completely fascinated by. Well, yeah. And so even the, the more you speak about it, I'm going, this is, um, I mean, if I ever sit down long enough to write a book, maybe this will be the, this is where it's going to go. Just making these comparisons, because I, I do think that there are a lot of similarities and then the other differences. And so here's the thing that came up as you were speaking to me, I'm thinking, you know, with running, it's a socially accepted activity in so many ways. And mm-hmm. so you'll there there are cultural affirmations and encouragements to do that. And because of where we are in the life of the religious world, like whatever religion you're in, in the country, in the United States, there, there aren't going to be lots of cover stories sort of acclaiming you for practicing your faith, right. whatever it is. So the, the sort of cultural, sort of corporate cultural inducements to continue doing one thing or the other are really, really different. And so, um, and I, I recognize that we cultivate our social media feeds in such a way that, in, again, I think I mentioned this, you look at my Instagram, it's all food, churches, and running. Like, there's nothing else that pops in there for the most part, because those are the things I, I, where I spend my time. So I think the whole world is thinking that. And I realize that, oh, mm-hmm. actually, that's not the case. But just generally, in the legacy media, you know, there are articles about people doing a healthy thing. And as we head into Thanksgiving and the holidays, we'll see a lot more of that, you know, like do a run streak, do an exercise thing. And um, it seems to be a more culturally acceptable thing versus the many, 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 many different ways you can practice faith and how do, there's no unified understanding or encouragement for that just in the culture generally. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Cause I mean, I think with, with running, there are a number of ways that you could do it. I mean, the act of like putting one foot in front of the other is, you know, is pretty standard, but we all do it for different reasons as we've talked about like throughout this conversation, but I hadn't really thought of it in terms of, you know, faith. It doesn't have to look exactly the same for everyone either in terms of how that is. Maybe it's not showing up to church every week, even though I know that's what you would love for more and more people (laughs) to do, but it's like, you can really express your faith in other ways than than that as well. And it's just as meaningful and it's just as special and just as important to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And so this is this gift of the sabbatical time is that I feel like it's really just the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. There is so much that came up during the time I was exploring it, but that's, you know, I didn't have a lot of other things to do. It was really just resting and exploring and having time with friends and family. 
And now that I'm back into the regular rhythms of work, I'm, I feel like it's I'm going to be working this through for a really long time and then hoping to continue to discover, you know, what there is to learn about it. Because I think the question is still open for me about how do people create and sustain this sense of being connected and belonging in these run crews that feels really, really um, beautiful and different than some, a lot of other places. Hmm. Um, yeah. Where did you go from Philly? So from Philly, I went to Baltimore and, okay. um, and was supposed to meet up with folks in Baltimore, D.C., but I ended up cutting the trip short at that point and came back to, to Indianapolis just because I wasn't running. And I thought, well, this is, you know, the fun was kind of off if I, <laughs> if I couldn't actually run with the groups I wanted to run with. And so I came back to the Midwest. And then the next group I met with was the Skokie Swifters group in outside of Chicago. And okay. so I had a, I had been looking at them for a while. They actually are a run group that started in the town that I lived in before I moved to Indianapolis. And I thought, Oh my God, how did it, I mean, literally like a year after I moved away in my own neighborhood, a new, a huge run group started up. And so I went back to, to run with them. And, and, um, and that was a really great experience too, because again, it started maybe three years ago took off like wildfire has grown really big and Skokie is not where people go. Oh my gosh, that's going to be the running capital of the, you know, Chicago area, but it's, it's got a really big gravitational pull. And the person who um, leads it spends a lot of time (laughs) building that community. And I think that's one of the other things I would note is that these run crews crews are not, um, accidental they're they're they take a lot of time and intention to make them stay as cohesive as they seem to be yeah um we've discussed a lot of the similarities between these groups and what attracts people to them in your observations and visiting them on your sabbatical what were some of the biggest differences between the ones that you visited in particular I would say some of the differences had to do with expectations around, um, you know, showing up in commitment. And so like Skokie Swifters had, has different runs that they do and lots of program, like what I might call programming, um, lots of celebrations of birthdays and life events and things happen every t- um, time they gather. And I, I think that's a, a difference. Like some run crews don't actually have a social element afterwards. People are on a Tuesday night, which, you know, some of these run groups are running from 6 to 7.30. So by the time you get home, it's 9 o'clock at night. You still have to get up and go to work the next day. So not all of them have that social element, but I, I, I do recognize that there's still that sense of belonging d- despite that, at least from what I've observed. I mean, if I could go back and run a second time with these groups, that I would love to be able to to sort of suss that out a little bit more. Um, groups like um, Richard Isis group, he, like, people are regular folks running just for fun. And then there are folks who are trying to hit their BQs and get their six star marathon majors. And they seem to, to hang all together. And, um, it's a smaller group, you know, but I feel like Richard and his presence is very much out there. So they appear to be everywhere. And of course, with the Philadelphia marathon weekend, just this past weekend, I mean, that's sort of their hometown race. They seem to be really present, but, um, but I feel like they, they um, have a bigger presence than their size might show. And I hope Richard, I mean, 
you know, some of these groups have like a hundred people, you know, right. and yeah. Richard's group, I think is more, really does feel more like a family in that way. And, and I think he cultivates that he knows people yeah. really well. I mean, he knows everybody in some ways, but I think he's, he works on those relationships. Yeah. And I, I would imagine, I mean, not every group is going to be equal and not all of them need to be, oh, you know, very right, big. Right, right. And that's part of the appeal for some people. Cause I mean, I like, I'm not, someone who's very, you know, extrovert. I like small groups. So for me, it's like, yeah, if, yeah. I had a, if I had a small group, I would be way more comfortable than in a big one. But I have no problem with the big one. You know, it's like other people just want to be able to like kind of get lost in a bigger group and just be, you know, be a part of it and maybe not get to know everyone like super, super well, but they still, you know, get a lot of benefit from being a part of that. Well, yeah. And I think that's the difference too. Some, I mean, the environment sets the tone. So with the random crew, which I don't know. There must have been maybe 45, 50 people at that mm-hmm. run, which they said was a low t- low turnout. <laughs> but I'm like, that's a lot of people weaving and dodging between people at rush hour <laughs> in the middle of London. So I don't know how that works when it's so much bigger. But I will tell you, it was exhilarating, a really different experience yeah. um, than doing a track workout, say. Um, and I don't think they do track workouts. I mean, their main thing is the the, the Tuesday, and then I think there's a Saturday, and they meet people for races and things like that. Yeah. Um, Fly Girl Collective was the only group I, I visited that was intentionally for black women, and that was another London group. So okay. I ran with Rundum on a Tuesday, took a rest day on Wednesday, and then ran with the Fly Girl Collective, and um, Matilda is the leader of that. And that was just great, but really different feel, intimate. You know, there were, I don't know, a dozen of us. Um, running through another part of London and folks, some of those folks have run with random crew. So I found like there are some um, cross pollination that happens. So people are not necessarily like, I only run with my crew. They can cross over. And I love that. Yeah, that's interesting too. And I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I've noticed that as well, especially in a lot of of cities where there are just a number of crews and they meet on different nights. And I mean, back to what we were saying about having to do stuff on your own in between, some people just don't want to do that or it's too hard for them. So it's like, hey, I can find these other groups that still, you know, maybe serve a different set of interests of of mine. Um, And I can go with them on Wednesday night versus this other crew on like Tuesday night and meet up with another group on, you know, a weekend. And I I feel like there is a, a fair amount of that that happens um, amongst many of these crews, especially in more densely populated places where they tend to exist. Yeah. And, and, and I think with social media being what it is, you know, there's all, all kinds of ways in which it's got its, you know, less favorable aspects, but for the purposes of supporting run crew culture, you know, there's always a reminder, like if we're running this day, there's a um, an invitation that always seems to be on offer. And I think encourages people as they travel to, I mean, at least that's how I read it. I keep thinking, mm-hmm. you know, as I tra- as travel starts up again, I want to be sure that I kind of keep that in mind as I look for when I'm going to run. And instead of doing it on my own, you know, summon up the courage, which I still have to always do to pop into a new group and just, you know, take it on face value and, and uh, you know, be, be with other people. Yeah. It, it seems to me, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the conversation, that most of these run crews have urban routes to them. And you visited, you know, quite a few, and I'd love to just get your observations on that. Were all the ones that you visited in urban environments, or have you seen, visited with, or heard of some that happened in more suburban or even rural environments? Yeah, you know, the Skokie Swifters would probably be the most suburban one because Skokie is a suburb. It's a old, you know, it's a first ring suburb, really. So it's older um, and it's got a village 
center and a community. So it's not Chicago, which has a different feel to it, but it does feel like there's a, a there there. There's a critical mass of people living in a community. But most of the places were really urban. And part of that was because I really wanted to go to the super intentional, all-inclusive, welcoming kinds of run crews. I wanted racial diversity. Um, and ironically, the, the least racially diverse group I ran with was the one in Skokie, despite the fact that Skokie is incredibly racially diverse. Um, even though the group did have a lot of racial diversity, it, it wasn't, um, it had a different flavor. And so here's another thing I would love to explore too, because I think there is a difference between the run crews that are um, started or led by black and brown people versus white people or people of other ethnicities. I think the reason and the, the DNA and the reason why people form those groups and and create them specifically for a particular part of the culture, as people would say, makes them different and they feel different. And the urban environments are more conducive to that because that's where people are for the most part. Mm. So um, again, that's another thing. If I had more time, I would want to sort of trace that story. But I think there is a story about run groups that were started um, for the black community or brown community and are intentional about keeping that, Front, front and center. It's not just an accident of the fact that they're in a city. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that makes sense. I mean, a lot of people, especially if they're going to form a group, they want to form one that they themselves want to be a part of, or they couldn't find, I would imagine, right. you know, previously. And I would think in the case of a lot of black and brown folks, you know, whether it's in a city or, or somewhere else, it's like, that might be what they're looking for more than anything else. So the primary thing that they're looking for, and then maybe it grows into something more from there. Right. So one of the things I'm, I'm wrestling with is um, out of this desire to have a run group, we started a run group in my neighborhood, right? I do so want to get, the, I do want to get onto that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the just this year, right? Uh, so, um, September. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so just a few run. months ago. Okay. Just a few months ago. So the Maple Road, United Run Crew was started by me and some folks in my neighborhood because this street, 38th Street, which used to be known as Maple Road, has historically been a dividing line in the city. It's the old, one of the original city borders, and um, the blocks north of 38th or Maple Road was the country. And I live north of 38th by one block. And I thought, let's erase this line. Let's reclaim this place and try and have a racially diverse run crew. And so... We're, um, we're trying to grow in that, but I realized that, oh my goodness, there's a different invitation. And this is me learning stuff mm. I should know that needs to be made, I think, because segregation in all kinds of ways is so persistent. Like me putting up stuff on Instagram in a couple of places in the neighborhood, it's going to automatically bring a lot of folks who are um, of a particular, who are usually white, a little upper middle class, going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm coming. And I have to work in a different way to keep that diversity racially for black and brown people to show up and to also see, even though I'm front and center with it, that they're welcome. And I'm thinking, yeah, I got to be talking to different people and posting this in different spaces. And even as a newcomer still to the neighborhood, trying to figure out what those spaces are so that we can build something that's intentionally racially diverse. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not something that happens automatically, as I knew. And I'm learning how to figure that out. But it's been great. We're small and, and growing a little bit each time we gather. 
Yeah. And are there any parallels that you've observed between doing that with the Maple Road Run Crew and also the community that you're trying to build around the church? Yeah, there are, because um, the conversations I have in my communities, which are, again, all over central and southern Indiana, but even the ones that are right here in Indianapolis, which is an incredibly diverse place by race and class, is that... um, but, but I literally pr- are practicing and preaching. We have to be super intentional about the welcome and, mm. um, and sending, sending out the signals to people that everybody is welcome really takes some care and attention because if you don't have pictures of people that look diverse, people are not going to say, Oh, I might see myself in that group. I won't be lo- as likely to choose to come. And in our churches where we have lots of congregations where they're in the middle often of black neighborhoods, but they don't have many black people in them. Some of that's because of the way the Episcopal church is generally, but some of it has to do with how do we project in so many different ways or or not that if you come here, you won't be the only one or you won't be one of a few. Um, And so this is something I'm trying to work out. Like I tell folks, we have to be different in our churches and I, I don't even know how to do that in our run groups. Like, but I do know it's something about where we're putting that message and who's front and center in that message so that we can help people to see that they are seen and they would belong. And it's a complicated thing. But I've, what I've said to folks in my churches is that I feel like this is the work of the rest of my life, like to figure this out and to work with us to figure it out together. Um, two more questions before we wrap up this conversation. Oh my gosh, it's so short. It's I know. I mean, we're coming up on our we're coming up on our hour, and you're not on sabbatical anymore, so your schedule is a lot tighter than it was a few months ago. But like, what was the biggest thing that surprised you as you were visiting these different run crews around the country, and I mean, even the world, really? I think the thing that surprised me was how immediate some of the the sense of feeling connected was, I mean, that's the thing that I am um, like, I, I was hoping for that. Right. Yeah. I thought I, these groups say that you belong, you can come and we're going to, you know, everybody's welcome. And I thought, okay, well, I hope that's true. But, um, but there's this visceral yearning to want to get back to some of these groups because of what I experienced there is much deeper than I would have ever imagined. Like it's yeah. not in my head only. It's like, it's in my heart that I want to, try and get back and, 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 you know, and part of my staying on social media a little bit too much these days when I'm having my downtime is because I want to see what people are up to. So yeah. I'm like looking for the Instagram feed for the cruise I visited and wanting to see you feel where connected. I do. Yeah. 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 And, and when the Chicago marathon came, I was so frustrated because I had, cause I'm working, I had work commitments that kept me from being at the race area on a Saturday because I wanted to meet up with folks who were coming in from London and from Philadelphia and from all the places I was. So I just kind of sent, you know, messages and said, hi, I'm I'm only three hours away, but I can't get there. And I still feel the the loss of that. And I'm going, this is ridiculous. I just met these people. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what is that about? You know, it's... But there's something really great about that, too, because I think, you know, we talked a lot about this in our first conversation, like everyone's looking for that type of connection in in their lives and primarily in a very real world way, something that is tangible and they can meet up with people and do something together, you know, once a week, once a month, twice a month, whatever it happens to be. And I mean, you know, 
social media has a lot of downsides, but I mean, that's a really positive use of it right there. It's if you're checking yeah. in on your people and you feel connected to them and you're excited for, you know, what they're doing a few hundred miles or even a few thousand miles away. I mean, that's going to keep you interested and engaged and even again, more excited to meet up with them in person when the opportunity actually allows. And I mean, I think that's like, that's really what this is all about. Uh, it's just that, is that <sighs> connection that, you know, people need in their lives. We all need it as, as human beings, I think. Well, exactly. And, you know, I feel like I spend my, it's not, I mean, I have lots of friends and I'm, but I, I, I wonder about, you know, the power for these groups to connect people who are often spending more time alone than they would like. I did a lot of research on sabbatical about the epidemic of isolation and loneliness. And, you know, I think there's a real need that's being met there. So, um, so my hope out of this is that people, again, will find their people. And even for me back here in Indianapolis, coming back from the, the sabbatical travels, I, I got in touch with Andrew Scott, who oversees the Indianapolis Run Walk group. And I'm like, okay, let me you know start at home and connect right here. Because it's great to have the high of traveling around and doing yeah. a one-off with the group. But it actually inspired me to dig deeper right here at home. And, um, and I'm looking forward to how that journey unfolds as well. Yeah, and I'm glad you highlighted that because I think anyone listening to this, regardless of of where they are, maybe that exists where you live and you just need to look for it and find it. Or, you know, I wrote a little bit about this in my newsletter this past week, create it yourself if if you can't. Um, And I think that's, you know, that's a daunting thing, um, but also realizing it doesn't have to be anything massive. It doesn't have to be huge. But if you find a few people that you can connect with over a common interest and are excited to meet up with on a somewhat regular basis and stay connected with in between, I mean, that can change your whole relationship to the thing and it can really change your life. Absolutely. I, I was reading your newsletter going, oh, we are so much on the same page on that. But um, but yeah, I think, I mean, the thing I say all the time is that life is hard. I mean, it and it feels, I will just say, especially hard right now, like between the conflicts around the globe and mm-hmm. people's lives. It's just people are having a hard time. So like whatever it is, like running, faith, clubs or whatever, like Find a way to connect with somebody else because it's too hard to be out here on your own alone. And we're not meant for that in any way. Are we meant to be isolated and on our own? So find a way to connect, find a group to run with or walk with or whatever it is that floats your boat. But find some people and people that matter who you can trust and build a relationship with and, you know, all of that. Last question to wrap this one up. And it's not from me. This comes from... Kristen, who's a listener, and she submitted it after our last episode. And Kristen wants to know, she says, how can a community leader truly take part in the community they are developing and when and how might they need to nourish their own spiritual slash creative slash fitness needs elsewhere? Selfishly, I want to know because I struggle to balance leading the group runs with participating in a group run. I find it hard to lead a mindfulness or spiritual practice and find a place to meet my own spiritual longings. I would love to hear Jennifer's thoughts on this topic. <laughs> oh, okay, so without a big one, big other- one to wrap up. I know. I know. Like it could be a whole other episode. But I mean, this is again, I, I, Kristen, I feel you because this is the thing I'm working through all the time. And so what I've learned with the running crew bit is that when we gather for the Maple Road United Run Crew, I am, that run is not for me. And I'm really clear about that. Like, um, I, this is a piece of my giving 
and having connectedness with the community, but it's not where I'm going to get my workout in because I see myself, and I think that the successful run crews do, that they are there to create community and running is the vehicle. So running with other people and doing other things that are not that particular meetup are the ways in which I nourish my sort of athletic side. And then spiritually too, like I'm leading worship and services and prayers for people almost every day. And I'm really clear that while I can get something out of it for me, if I'm going to really fill my cup, I've got to go off and do that in a different space. And so that's why I'll be in Boston next week on retreat at a monastery where I can have long walks and well, maybe run if I can get a run in on the, along the Charles river and just be with other people who are offering that for me to receive and to make sure that I'm doing something like that on a regular enough basis, because it's really, it's as important as, as it is to build up a community. We also have to be getting fed um, in ways that really matter for us. And making the time to do that is as important as the community work we do. So see what you can do to find that little slice of time. I know t- world when it's really hard to find extra minutes, but it's pretty essential. And yeah. it's not perfect, but you're worth finding it, I would, I would say. Yeah, that's that's great counsel. And the only thing I'll add to I think many of us who tend to be givers in whatever way, shape, or form, that takes need to remind ourselves that we also need to take that time for ourselves because that's how yeah. we're going to be able to give you know to other people. I don't think you can have one without the other. So it can be yeah. tricky because it's only 24 hours in a day and we're all super busy. But I think it's important to make sure that you carve out time for both, um, you know, in, or, in order to, you know, help other people, but also, you know, help yourself feel nourished in whatever it is that you're doing. Yep. That's it. That's it. Great. I think that's a, an awesome place to wrap up this conversation. What an awesome hour this was. Again, if you're listening to us and haven't listened to part one, it'll be linked in the show notes. Please check that out. But Jennifer, thank you so much again for your time, sharing your experiences, just your your wisdom and your counsel. And it was a real pleasure to have you on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks so much, Mario. I, I just love what you do and I love being a part of it in any way. And this has been great fun for me too. So thank you. All right, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. If you could, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into this from. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners to discover the show. Also, a big thank you to my annual partners, Tracksmith, New Balance, Precision Fuel and Hydration, and Gooder for making it possible. Check out themorningshakeout.com slash partners to take advantage of some of the discount codes and special offers that are available exclusively to readers and listeners of The Morning Shakeout. Before we go, I'd like to give a couple more quick shout-outs. The first to John Summerford, who has edited and produced every episode of the podcast since we launched it in late 2017. He's the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. The second goes to Chris Douglas, who is my right-hand man and helps manage partner relationships. And last but not least, Nicole Bush, who gives me a hand with social media content strategy and creation and is my co-host for Training Talk Thursday, which you can tune into on Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Morning Shakeout's Instagram account, which you can find at The AM Shakeout. And that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 